<clears throat> All right, everybody. Uh, it is the teaching, coaching, and training podcast with Jordan Weber and Brett Bartholomew, is it? It is Brett Bartholomew. Awesome. Uh, we're speaking with Brett today. Uh, he has been a coach, and, and I know that he's been uh, one of the most motivating speakers I've heard in a, in a while. And it's kind of, you know, you read books, you, you hear people, and uh, you kind of remember the ones that really impact you the most. And so Brett's kind of impacted me, uh, you know, in the past couple of weeks with just kind of motivating me to, you know, just be a better person in general. Uh, so it's good to have you on the podcast. And I appreciate uh, what you do on social media, uh, the, the book you wrote, Conscious Coaching. Uh, you also have uh, other uh, business and um, strategic uh, communication skill building uh, apprenticeships that are all over the country that people can watch and hear and see and get a part of. And it doesn't matter if you're a teacher, coach, or trainer in the physical or personal training uh, setting, but they would be able to uh, maybe apply to this program. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, listen, at, at the end of the day, and, and you touched on a lot of points there, I started off in strength and conditioning, working with primarily pro athletes, collegiate athletes, what have you, and then wrote a book. That book transcended and, and got into different aspects of, of the medical world, military world and corporate world. And so we've expanded everything we do at Art of Coaching now to really mean art of leadership. So anybody that is teaching, guiding, orchestrating, mentoring, anything under any of those terms, uh, that's what our work's for. So we do experiential workshops where people that, you know, people that really aren't just wanting death by PowerPoint, but people that actually want hands-on, getting up, interacting, video breakdowns, reviews, all those kinds of things. That is really what we are about. Home and hearth of what we do is making people put skin in the game and and learning how to interact in real time because that's how life happens, right? Right. Have you been to any universities to speak on your apprenticeship and held any seminars at uh, universities beside uh, strength and conditioning programs? Or oh, yeah, yeah. We, we worked with Creighton University. We, I've, I've spoken at the University of Nebraska, Kansas State University. We actually have uh, our courses implemented at Kansas State University for part of the undergrad curriculum. Uh, our digital courses are a part and parcel with that. I was an adjunct professor at uh, uh, Maryville University and just outside of St. Louis. Um, you know, my doctorate is all the all workshops and all of our content is, is predicated on stuff that I'm researching for my doctorate. Um, so all of this is tied into you know, practical aspects of research in real life. I think that's a big thing that we look at that separates us is you, you see people out there sometimes that are just academics and, and not to, you know, take away from that, but sometimes their work isn't always the most practical, right? That's why that term, the ivory tower exists. Then you have popularizers, people that maybe probably don't pay homage to academia's work and they don't have, you know, kind of all the details they should. And then you have some people that are just in the field and, and not, you know, really hands in those areas. We have our hand in all those pots. Um, my my colleague, Allie Kirshner is at Stanford University. Not only did she speak for them, but spoke for their medical school. And then she was a strength coach as well. And so we're really at the end of this trying to do something positive for the performance community because we've seen so many people in the military crossover and tech world crossover into leadership. But growing up, I've never seen a strength coach or anybody on that side do that. And we want to open up opportunities for more coaches right? Where we, we got really tired of seeing strength coaches depicted as weight room people that just do sets and reps. There's a whole different element of that professionalism. Sure. There are some people that that's all they care about and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but there are others that got into it because they love coaching and they love leadership. And we want to share that with a broader audience. Nice. 
And that's how a lot of physical educators feel. They feel like we're just gym teachers. They feel like we feel like they just roll out the ball. Uh, you know, we don't really give that much meaning in a school system. And a lot of teachers may play that role, right? And, and a lot of uh, phys ed teachers are gym teachers. In fact, they do roll out the ball or they don't really teach. Uh, maybe they just plan on coaching after school and they don't look at teaching as a real profession or, or whatever it may be. Um, and, and I see the teaching aspect of uh, personal, uh, physical education. I see the training aspect of, you know, clientele and corporations and businesses. And then I see obviously the coaching factor with athletes. And, and that's what I want to ask you some questions on today was what was your personal view of physical education as it is today in 2021? And what do you think physical educators can do to be maybe better, you know, communicators and more effective teachers and leaders? Yeah, I mean, this is a loaded question. So I'm going to handle the the first one. I'll, I'll do one at a time. Um, and if I if I heard you correctly, I, it was along the lines of, you know, what was my view of phys- physical education growing up? Is that what you is that the core of the question? Yeah, I guess. What was your view of physical education growing up and where do you think it is and where do you think it needs to be? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm a physically active guy. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, so we climbed trees, we played football, we, we went out in the park, we played ghosts in the graveyard at night, you know, we did all the things under the streetlights. It's wild because I, I'm 35. How old are you? I'm 30. I'll be, I'm 37. Right. No, like, do you, you don't, it doesn't feel like we're old. Right. But then you no. think about, I don't see any kids in my neighborhood playing ghosts in the graveyard, running around playing, you know, you see them on bikes here and there and what have right. you. And uh, I think we always laughed at that at one point in time. Cause you're like, Oh, that's something old people say kids yeah. these days, but like, it actually just is true. And I think that that's an interesting thing that when you get to that phase in life. Um, but I, I mentioned all that because I'm very biased. I've always loved being active. I have a tremendously hard time sitting down. I'm not going to sit here and say I have ADHD, right? I just don't like being stationary. I like walking. I like moving. I like, you know, when I'm kinetic, I'm, I'm generally happy. And so you know, I loved PE. Of course, I didn't like parachute days where you just did the parachute. And I say that because I laugh, right? That's a stereotype of phys ed too, right? Roll out the ball, get the parachute, what have you. Um, But what you're really teaching is physical competency. What you're teaching is physical literacy. And for anybody that says that's not important, you know, how many of those people have achy backs, have bad joints, are are winded going up a flight of stairs? You know, it's kind of like when somebody, I, I heard somebody ask one time, Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, how important is health to business? And he said, well, pretty important because if you're not healthy and you don't have great physical capacity, he used a different term. He goes, you're going to be dead and then you'll be out of business. And so, you know, I, I would look back at people that say, oh, physical education isn't important. And I'd be like, all right, well, then you tell me what your solution is for how we should get people moving. You know, like, tell me that. Right. right? And and I tell that to people that, you know, uh, when, when I branched off and I knew I could have made probably a million dollars, Jordan, if I would have just left strength and conditioning uh, and said, okay, we're going to start art of coaching and it's going to be all about agility and weightlifting technique. And we're going to have a certification and all these. And I just marketed, I know that will sell because people love the sexy stuff, the technique. I could put up all the images of me training pro athletes, some of the jerseys you see behind me and people would buy it. Instead, we're like, no, we're going to go the route of communication, interpersonal skills, uh, how you interact under pressure. 
And, you know, if people were like, well, why do we need that? I'd be like, well, you tell me, right? How many relationships have you lost in life because you didn't listen well? How many job interviews did you blow because you said the wrong thing? So I look at communication and physical literacy, they go hand in hand. There's a reason the ancient Greeks valued both, right? The ability to move, the ability to think, the ability to communicate and what have you. And so um, I think it's incredibly important, you know, where is it at now? I, I probably be a bad person to ask because I'm not directly in physical education in the uh, school system, right? But I, I read the same news everybody else does. And we know that these systems are continuously being cut from, from schools and they're not being prioritized. Um, I sit on the board for a nonprofit called Movement to Be. It's run by an amazing person named Dr. Kara Scholl. And it is all about teaching kids uh, physical literacy in underserved communities. Because now these organizations like Movement to Be, because schools are not prioritizing PE, they have to exist because these kids need to learn how to move. And, right. and I think the other thing that skeptics need to listen to and use this if you want, man, is like, this isn't about Billy, Sally, Susie, and Janie learning the basics of baseball. This is about that kid down the street that has no confidence they have no confidence. They're struggling to figure out like who they are. They're going through dramatic periods of change in their life and adolescence and their teenage years and physical activity helps them with confidence. It helps them, it helps stave off depression. It helps stave off physical or uh, social anxiety. And so it, it's crazy to me when people just think, oh yeah, they're just, they're just running around and exercising. This isn't about exercise. It's about what happens as a byproduct of movement. And, and I think that that's what they're missing. So I'll leave that there to give you an opportunity so I don't monopolize the air. Um, and then I'll, I'll happily answer any other question. Yeah, we'll go back to, you know, growing up, you know, we had the same social systems. We had backyard, uh, ghost in the graveyard. We, you know, we played hide and go seek. We, we met up to play hockey on the tennis courts or we played soccer at the, at the rec fields. And that's all we did also. That's all we did all day long every day and you go out and see you know like you said kids on their bikes might be playing in their front lawns but they're not setting up organized sports like we were where we were kind of meeting on the alley or meeting behind a a uh, a market store or something like that we would go anywhere to play hockey or whatever it may be so it's really cool to see that you kind of grew up like that but um understanding that it just doesn't really exist like it, it used to um, and then when it comes back to the physical education, you talked about physical literacy and understanding and having more confidence. That's definitely where physical educators uh, and especially uh, teacher education programs are kind of headed. You know, we need to talk more about literacy. We need to talk about more about social and emotional well-being. And I know that you're a very uh, huge component of that. And, and that's kind of where, where I want to go next. And talking about the emotional and social aspect of physical educators, personal trainers, strength coaches, what type of role do we have? in developing their social and emotional competence. Yeah, I mean, huge. Those things are tied in. When you when you look at the language centers of the brain, you know, that, that's all tied in in many areas that deal with movement as well. And I know people like to say left brain, right brain. That's all a misnomer. This is all interconnected, you know, and when you have increased blood flow to the brain, you have higher cognitive processing, and you have all these opportunities through being active to become more social and you have more opportunities through becoming more social to become more active, you know, and, and we know I, I can put it this simple, Jordan, what is the most cruel and unusual punishment somebody can do to a human being? What is it? To hurt them, some type of physical or emotional. Life. But worse, even worse than that, right? Let's say somebody uh, unfortunately is in prison and they're, it's like the electric chair, solitary confinement, 
you know, something like that. What do we know is one of the most socially, just psychologically damaging things you can do other than physically hurt somebody? Yeah, put them in a box in a dark room and don't ever let them talk to anybody. You will absolutely see uh, parts of the brain shrink. You will see people, I mean, people essentially lose their mind. They lose their sense of self, you know? And so when you look at social isolation and you look at, you know, uh, health ramifications of not moving, these are two of the most crippling, and I use that term intentionally, thing, intentionally, uh, these are two of the most, the worst things you can do to somebody, you know? And, and so when people don't move, I mean, everybody's had that day. And listen, I want to make clear to your listeners, because I'm sure most of them, you know, love what you're saying and what have you, but there's always detractors. You're, you're not talking, I don't know if they can see me or not, but I'm not some guy that I go work out three hours a day, right? I have my days too, where I don't, I don't feel like doing anything. The emotional low, I own my own business. It's a family owned business. I'm trying to write a second book. There are days that I have massive cognitive overload. You know, after even I do podcasts like this, I need, I need a reprieve. I'm, I'm very much extroverted in some situations, but it can drain me, right? And I say this just because I don't want people to think, oh, here we go. Another health nut talking how important movement is. Some guy that just loves weight rooms and whatever. No, I have my days where I just wish I could hit an easy button too and get all the benefits of physical activity and not do it, you know, where you're just in a funk. But here's the thing. I also know that just going outside and walking for 10 minutes and having a conversation with somebody while being outside and walking for 10 minutes sometimes can take what was an awful day and completely spin it. Give me a new idea and we get rolling. You know, you see these things happen in human beings for a reason. There's a reason that we see a, a release of endorphins and all these things when we're active. Because, you know, like whoever our creator was, and no matter what anybody believes, right, if you don't believe in a creator, whatever, then biology and what have you, it wants to reward us for doing things that are good for us, you know? And so I think these things are intrinsically, and, and again, very biased. I'm, I'm very much into the Greek philosophy of sound mind, sound body. I don't know how anybody could not be. You know, I know there are geniuses and people that did not value physical activity. I, you know, there are people that smoke that don't get cancer. I don't think that saying, well, you know, you're trying to make links between intelligence and, and, and psychological capacity and whatever and activity, and that's not everybody. Well, I, I disagree. You know, how great could these people have been if they took care of their bodies more? How long, how much longer could we have had them on earth and learn from them? You know, I, I think my brother, then I might be going on a rant here, but my brother gives me a hard time uh, always and says, you know, the irony is you're the biggest health nut in the family and you'll die before all of us. And I always thought that was a really weird thing to say. And I said, you know what, maybe you're right, man. But the, yeah. the, the vitality that I've enjoyed in the years that I have has been tremendous. I've climbed mountains. I've done this. I've, I've swam and I haven't had to sit there and be like, Hey guys, oh, hold on, you know? And so, right. um, yeah, I don't know that that's a great counter argument, you know? Yeah. Physical activity is definitely, I mean, especially on the hardest days when you don't want to do anything. I mean, I have a gym here and it doesn't motivate me to come in here and work out just because it's attached to my house. And I know you have that too. And it doesn't mean it's easier just to step into your garage gym. It's not, you still have to motivate yourself and get up and, and move and, and, you know, do what you have to do to move that day. Um, but you talked about movement to be physical literacy for, for people that are underserved. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, so Kara and I used to work together and, and for anybody interested, you know, you can go to 
movement and then the number two. So it's movement, M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T. And I'm sure Jordan will put this in the show notes. The number two and then B, just B-E, like I want to be this. Um, uh, we used to work together and, you know, I went off to build Art of Coaching. She went off to build Movement to Be and said, hey, you know, 80% of adolescents worldwide don't get enough exercise that puts their health at risk, right? And that's based off a World Health Organization study and, and shows data of 1.6 million children across 146 countries. And so she said, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Our, our mission is to enhance the lives, health, and confidence of today's youth through quality mentorship of movement. And so what do we do, you know? And, and so uh, she's like, would you come on the board and what have you? And I'm like, yeah, tell me more about this. And she's like, well, what we do is we equip and we connect fitness and health professionals around the globe to provide, you know, a movement program. There's an actual curriculum for it to help kids understand this stuff. So, you know, again, they're able to go into these communities to kids that may not have access to YMCAs or, you know, after school programs or what have you, because maybe they've cut it and, and they're able to work with these folks. And so I just, I, if you're a fitness or health or educational professional wanting to impact the community and you believe in physical literacy, you know, you can get involved. And so it's pretty cool. You know, it's a, it's a special thing. They have all kinds of summer programs. They have affiliate programs. Uh, you know, a lot of it was hit hard by COVID and that's always tough. Uh, but I definitely recommend anybody that's interested in helping to go to movement to be.com and, and figuring out a way that they can join that and help. I know Kara. Kara's very bad at asking for help. I love her to death. Um, and she'd laugh. Like, we're just, we're, we're kind of of the same ilk. We never want to bother people, you know? And so even though every small business, every nonprofit, anything like that needs help, you don't want to bother people. But she definitely, you know, we can always use more great people. So I, I'd love to see people get involved. Awesome. So let's move into coaching. We talked a little bit about teaching. Uh, who is... Coach Brett, and who who are who do your athletes know you as, and how do you want to be known, and how is your legacy going to continue as a coach? Yeah, you know, uh, I'll be I'll be mindful of language here, but you know, I've been described as the most respectful kick in the butt people get. Um, coach Brett is somebody that time is is the utmost of importance to me because I spent a year of my life hospitalized. Right. I nearly died at the age of 14. That's something that I talk about in my book, Conscious Coaching. And on our podcast, the Art of Coaching podcast, I dive deeply into that. But, you know, when I came out of that situation and we lost a lot of members of our family pretty young at life, you know, it, it was inculcated in me that you don't have much time here. So I've always had this urgency. At the same time, Jordan, I've, I've never really I got to think of again how to a polite way to say this. I have a very fierce BS detector. And so when I got into positions of leadership and coaching, and I looked for examples out there of how to navigate messy realities, right? I, I was always turned off by books that just said, look people in the eye, tell them you care, tell them you love them. Like, I, we know this stuff and that's valuable. No disrespect to any of those authors. But at a relatively young age, when I'm working with pro athletes and I'm 25 and at the time my beard hasn't come in, you know, I'm replacing a coach who has the NFL experience, all this stuff. Or, you know, when I went through my first lawsuit ever in my life or whatever, you know, just when you deal with this stuff that you're never taught how to deal with, just telling people you care isn't enough, right? Just, just trying to come across warm and fuzzy and remembering their name isn't enough. So Coach Brett, you know, and it's weird speaking to myself in the third person, but I'm answering it in the way that you phrased it, right? He's somebody that wants to help people learn how to navigate the hairiest parts of their life through giving them you know, more information on power dynamics, the role of influence, 
these things that were brought up, Jordan, hearing that like our dark arts, right? Manipulation, power, what are these things? And we actually show people, no, these things aren't bad at all. Just like there's physical literacy, there is also power literacy. In every interaction, there are power dynamics, right? You and I are talking right now. We both want to help people. But right now I have the power because I'm talking. When I turn it back to you and you know, you ask the next question, you have the power because I have to sit here and wait and you're, you're guiding this interaction, right? Like I have no idea what you're gonna ask me next. So power is very fluid, right? It's situational. It's not this hyper-sexualized thing where only people with money and status have it. But when I reach out to, when people reach out to us, Jordan, and they say, hey, I'm having an issue in my organization. I need to do one of your communication courses because I'm not quite sure how to get my message across to this person. I'm not quite sure how to make it make sense to uh, this person. And this person could be somebody stubborn that they work for. It could be somebody that's misinterpreted something, somebody that's threatened by them, whatever, right? We all, we all have to deal with people issues. We help them navigate that. So Coach Brett is somebody that's based in urgency and uh, you know wants to help people navigate some of the messiest aspects of their lives with advice centered around power dynamics, communication, and interpersonal politics. That's, that's great. And you talked a little bit about your book and how you wrote about um, the fact that you were in the hospital when you were younger. And, you know, that was something very touching that I read. And I, I you know, I thought about it and I, you know, I just thought about just being in your shoes in that hospital, uh, you know, and being depicted as someone that you weren't and, and having to figure it out on your own and having to, you know, find books and, and, and hide those books on the way in and read those books when they weren't looking and, and, and having to say sayonara to someone that didn't believe in you. And you said that, you know, the hospital staff, you thought they were going to be like, you know, congratulations. And, you know, they weren't even that way. And, you know, and is that where, is that where all the urgency came from? Was it right after that? Was it just, you know, I can't let this happen again. I, I got to have more control over what happens and I can't let other things control me or like where was your head at there right when you left yeah I mean it's tough to know exactly where my head was at at you know I was 15 at the time 16 I guess technically when I left um but it goes back to what I said earlier is the urgency comes from when you almost lose your life at a young age and realize that nobody's going to pull you out of that right I didn't have friends visit me in the hospital my family and I were in a very contentious time, you know, and what have you. It was me alone. Nobody called to check in on how I was doing Sans, you know, an uncle or extended family member here and there. But like literally none of my friends the year prior, I'm homecoming royalty, this, that, what have you. Not one person ever checked on me. And so, you know, I think that uh, I learned that you have to fend for yourself a lot. And if I remember correctly, right, you you not too long ago, what, like five or six weeks ago, celebrated your fourth uh, fourth anniversary with your wife? Yep. Right. And so, you know, if, if I remember correctly, just kind of learning a little bit more about you and doing our research, right? Ruth, your wife had uh, Hebrews 619 on, on her profile. And if I remember that correctly, it's, you know, we have this hope or anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and it enters this sanctuary behind the curtain, right? And I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, I had to learn a lot uh, of how to find my own sanctuary of who I am behind the curtain. You know, I had to deal with something early on in my life and my story is no better or worse or different than anybody else's. Everybody's got their own stuff. I'm never saying that you have to be in a hospital to learn who you are or what have you. But, you know, I remember when I was leaving, 
to give your listeners context, you know, there was this nurse that was incredibly Machiavellian, just really not a good person. You know, she talked down to a lot of the patients there, wasn't interested in, in helping many people. And you see, literally, as I'm walking out of this hospital for the first time in my life, she goes, you'll be back. And I remember thinking, you know, yeah, I'll be back to talk to every single person you can't help, you know? And so the urgency there was, I can't believe there's people like this in the world. Um, uh, also, you know, I don't think people know oftentimes that as much as we want help from other people, and that's great if we get it, ultimately what we deal with in life comes down to us. You know, you have to have skin in the game and we deal with it all the time as a small business, right? We have people that we put tens of thousands of dollars into the development of our workshops, our online courses, our book and what have you. And there's people that want things for free. And I say, no, like you're not going to value it if it's free. You're not going to value if it's cheap. You're not going to value it if it's easy, you know? And, uh, it's amazing how people will weaponize that guilt. Sometimes they'll be like, Oh, well, if you were in it for the right reasons, you do this. And I'm like, yo, we have a podcast where I've done 180 episodes and I've given out thousands of hours of content for free every year. Don't try to tell me that because I'm not willing to do the dirty work for you at a discount that I'm not in it for the right reason. And so that's, that's the urgency is it teaches you that you got to do the dirty work in your own life. And uh, you don't have time to waste. And and that's great if people will help you. And there are going to be people that show up for you in some areas of your life. But you better learn who you are and, and learn who what you value quick or life's going to get the best of you. Nice. Well, let's talk about coaching and sports and, and, you know, different power dynamics that coaches have with their athletes and, and being able to control culture. Who is a sport coach that you look up to? Uh, or have looked up to in the past that has really helped you become a better strength coach? Yeah, this is tricky, right? Because even though I'm in coaching and what have you, I've never really looked to certain coaches as mentors. It's a super unpopular answer. I know, Um, you know, it'd be easy because I'm from Nebraska to say Tom Osborne. And while Tom Osborne's a legend and all these things, right? Like I've never really identified with he's got an ultra conservative view on some things that probably aren't for me. Right. Just like I have views that aren't for other people. That doesn't mean I don't respect him. I I, I think that guy is amazing. Right. Um, There's things about Nick Saban that I I've never met Nick Saban, but I admire. And I think sometimes people confuse aggression, you know, or passion for aggression. Um, You know, Nick Saban often has a, a, stigma that he's some dark kind of persona and, and what have you. I, I think Nick Saban's probably a genius at how he deals with people. Um, and, and I'm somebody that I don't beat around the bush. I'm a very direct communicator and I'm direct because I respect you and your time, you know, and some people might be like, Ooh, you know, but I'm not the guy that's going to go up and hug somebody and be like, it's okay, Jimmy. You know, I'm going to be like, all right, this sucks. I understand it sucks, but here's what you did wrong. And here's how we're going to make it right. Let's get to it. You know? Um, So I I value kind of people that are in the gray area. You know, I know that's a non-answer and I wish I could give you one person, um, but I'd be lying to you and I'd rather not do that. I think that I, I value people that are in the gray area. I think that I would challenge people's traditional conceptions of coaching. And we talked about this at our apprenticeship workshops and, you know, shameless plug, you guys can go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship for that. But I say there are people that loved John Wooden and John Wooden was the classic kind of father based figure taught him to put on their socks, tie their shoes so they didn't get blisters. Right. And then there are people that loved Bobby Knight and Bobby Knight threw chairs and choked kids. And that may not be for somebody. I know I don't want my kid choked, but there are people that love Bobby Knight and wouldn't have played for anybody else. And who are we to say what's right and what's wrong in the context of how those people did things. Right. Like that is not for us to judge because effective leadership it's all about fit. 
right? Effective leadership is not, let's say I'm the most warm, fuzzy, you know, uh, grandfatherly figure ever. Does that mean that just because I'm honest and I'm a good communicator and I want the best for others and I'm a great teacher, does that mean, Jordan, that I'm going to be a great leader in every scenario? No. No, right? Like, just like I could speak at a college here in the United States and then I could go present in Beijing and certain metaphors and analogies will land here that don't land there and certain techniques that land there don't land here. We've lost that in today's society. We become so polarized between good and bad and right and wrong that we've lost the gray area. And I liken it to parenting. Do you, do you and Ruth have kids? Yeah, we have one boy. He's uh, two and a half months. Oh, beautiful. Like we have, uh, ours will be two in December, right? At the time that we're having this conversation, it's what, August 18th? In December, ours will be two. And it's like that. I'm not going to tell you how to parent, Jordan, you know, and I would hope that you wouldn't tell me how to parent. Now, there are certain things that I think culturally we can agree on parents shouldn't you know, do, right? Abuse your child, right? But does somebody spank their child? Is that right? Is that wrong? You know, like the gray area of leadership is not that different than the gray area of coaching. You have to understand that like, there's a lot of things that you don't know. I don't know. It's got to be a fit. It's situational. It's messy, right? And so that's why I value people that can kind of surf that curve in that gray area. And that's what we try to create at Art of Coaching. So it depends. You have to adapt. And I know that's one of your strong suits and I teach adaptive physical education. I've been teaching it for 10 years. So I've been working with people with disabilities and what got me into that was my uncle who has an intellectual disability. Um, and I know that you have to be able to ver have variety as a coach or trainer. You can't say, Oh, I'm going to be a uh, type A personality or type B. You might have to be situational depending on the athlete or student and how that may be, uh, they might have a physical need they need or an auditory need that they need. And you might have yep. to just change, change the instruction for them. Um, but before we get away from coaching in sports, I see the jerseys behind you. Obviously, uh, my favorite one on there. What one do you think is my favorite one on there? Out of the, out of the one, two, three, four. Well, this is the first time that you and I are talking. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, the context here is I don't know a, a ton uh, about you and your, your sport predilection. So this is a complete up in the air guess. Uh, Kyle Rudolph or Patrick Chung? Ah, and never Tom mind. Tom. You're a Bills fan, aren't you? So yeah. Richie Incognito. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, there you yeah. go. How was it uh, training with him? Uh, Richie is somebody that I hold very dear in my life. You know, I, I worked with him. I, you know, I, I always have to be careful quoting because I feel like somebody in cancel culture will say, you said five years, it was four and a half um, I think four or five years and, you know, he came to our wedding. Um, you know, he is, he's a, he's a great person. You know, he, he deals with his own struggles as do we all. Right. And he, he's very open about struggles with mental illness and what have you. And I think that I'm, I'm really proud that he came out and talked about those things because otherwise he was getting judged pretty ferociously in a vacuum. You know, I had to work with him during the year that he was basically kicked out of the NFL because of the things that he went through with another team member and what have you. And it was hard for me to hear what the media was saying about him when I knew him as a human being. At the same time, we all knew why the media might say those things because it's very easy when people from the outside looking in just go with what they're shown in the media, which is very rarely the, the real story, right? I cringe. Uh, you know, my wife and I often talk about this. I don't know if you and Ruth or ever have this discussion. Maybe you don't have skeletons in your closet. Um, you know, I, I always say, you know, it's only a matter of time, Liz, until 
somebody comes for us and people have tried on social media already and what have you, but here's the thing. I don't ever present myself to be perfect. You know, I never present myself to be perfect. You know, I don't even think I'd vote for if there were two, if there was two presidents going and and we're, my wife and I are independent, right? We voted both ways before. Um, And uh, I, I think if there, I think it's a sad country if we get to the point where basically the people that we vote for, the people we look up to in any capacity, political or otherwise, are people that don't have any scars or skeletons in their closet. I would rather vote for a president that's been divorced, had kind of, you know, things go on behind the scenes that they're not proud of, but they've owned up to and they've they've willingly acknowledged than somebody that presents this squeaky clean public image that for all we know had his background scrubbed and website scrubbed. Like I, I don't trust perfect. Right. And, and that scares me in today's society, you know? And so I, that's where I'm really glad that there's people like Richie and, and, and folks like this. This is what's called the resilience wall. Um, I, again, I don't know if your audience can see it, but there's a painting uh, by these uh, jerseys that says, you know, smooth seas don't make skillful sailors. So every single jersey on here, and there's some that can't be seen in the frame, is somebody that overcame some massive issue in their life. Nate Thompson uh, is an AA, right? He's been, I, I don't know how many years sober. Kyle Rudolph is just this tremendous grinder. Him him, and Henry Anderson have had overcome significant injuries. I have Whitney Merciless. He's got his own story. Patrick Chung, another, another family friend. And then over to the side here, I used to be the head strength coach for uh, Southern Illinois baseball. And so um, their team means so much to me because during the season, their coach died of cancer and they really had to come together in a unique way. And so the point of this wall is to teach my son someday that, you know, skill is not enough. Any kind of privilege you have is not enough. You know, um, you need, you're going to overcome, you're going to have to overcome your own struggles and nobody's struggles are better or worse, less or greater than anybody else. It's all relative, but one way or another, the shrapnel of life is going to give you a reminder. And those scars are things that you need to become who you really are. And uh, so, yeah, that's my cheesy kind of soapbox thing of hopefully we move more towards a society where scars are more celebrated than the sterility of one's kind of background and, and appearance, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And I love how you have a, it's like a, you have a theme, you have a purpose behind that. It's not, you're not just throwing up jerseys on the wall, that type of thing. And you have, a meaning behind it. I, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, Richie, you know, obviously as a Bills fan, you root whoever's on the Bills team and obviously you love them when they're on the team or off the team. So yeah. how big, how big is he as a person? How was it? Was he a lot bigger than you, a little bigger than you? Is he- oh, well, I, you know, I'm five, eight, one ninety five. you know, Richie and, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I would have to look, but Richie's probably six, four, six, five, three, 300 some odd, you know, one of the biggest men that I've seen. I think the only other person that I've seen with the level of raw power and athleticism for somebody that size is Indomitian Sue. Uh, you know, R- Richie is, is a, a specimen. Now, in case he ever hears this, I'm also going to say he's probably lost a step or two, you know, because when I moved out of Arizona, you know, we still keep in touch, but I don't train Richie anymore, um, you know, but he's probably lost a step or two or maybe three since he doesn't train with me anymore. And that's me just busting <laughs> balls. Um, but yeah, I, I love the dude. Awesome. Um, so let's get back into some teaching, coaching and training and talk about your own training. I know that you are an avid trainer. Uh, you, you ask people what their top, you know, five exercises are, you know, training habits are, uh, I know that you have a very, uh, flexible, I mean, a a schedule that 
you have to be very precise and, and you have to plan out your workouts or this and that. Um, and I know you talk to a lot of fitness professionals, so I, I definitely want to ask you some training questions. And what, what have you gathered, you know, as, as your professional career has gone on with training? I know um, the minimum effective dose is one of your, one of the things that you, you, you kind of, you preach a little bit, but what's, what are some theme, what other themes are you having from other coaches and trainers in training right now? What do you think are super important? You mean, what, what do I think are critical things about training that people need to know? I guess, um, I mean, after you gather, I mean, what, are, what is the question you ask your guests? You ask them, what are their top five or top, what are your top three? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really ask a ton of that, to be honest. I think, you know, what, what a common question that gets asked for sure by, by like from other people to me or, or what have you is, Hey, what's your favorite exercise or what, what are the top three things you need for X, Y, and Z? I, I seem to attract a lot of those questions. Cause again, people like binary answers and, and right. what have you, um, you know, I, I, I tend to look at training as a lot more simple than most people make it out to be. You know, I, my, I have a master's degree in motor learning and my undergrad is exercise physiology and, and again, been a strength coach for 15, 16 years. And so, you know, by and large, it comes down to some simple things, right? Like you need to have ground-based movements where your feet are on the ground. So squats, deadlifts, lunges, things like that, presses and, and pulls. Uh, you need to do these multi-planar. So not just front, back, side to side, but rotational work. And, you know, you need to choose exercises that are multi-joint. So pull-ups over bicep curls, uh, you know, uh, step-ups, lunges, deadlifts, squats, things like that over isolation machine-based work. It doesn't mean you can't do isolated work. That's going to have its own place in rehabilitation or, you know, if you're a bodybuilder and, and what have you, or if somebody just wants to do it. But, you know, uh, I, I put it on my Instagram the other day. Training comes down to lifting weights at different loads and different speeds in different ways, you know, at different times of year. And, uh I'm pretty turned off by that world now, frankly, just because Instagram has made everything look like it has to be five variations for the deadlift, 32 bicep variations for bigger peaks on your biceps, you know, 45 ways to get faster. It's like, Jesus, this is not that complicated, right? You want to get faster, you better lift weights, you better sprint and you better do plyometrics, um, you know, and I think that's, again, that's pro I probably lost a following for that, to be honest. You know, we know that, Again, our Instagram following, what it's like at 98,000 right now. I probably could have a following of 300, 400,000 if I just showed exercises because there's an endless market for that. There's an endless market. And and on my Instagram, I'll still show, you mentioned it well, right? Like there's a video of me the other day just banging and clanging in the garage. But that's me as a person, you know? I, I try to show on my Instagram who I really am. I don't try to just, my, my page isn't three ways to deal with difficult communication, four ways to do this, five ways to, you know, propose to your wife, you know, when you're nervous. And I, I'm like, Hey, I'm Brett. I'm a bearded wonder in Atlanta, Georgia. I am very weird. I have a passion for understanding psychology and human behavior and coaching. I train, I do this. And, uh, I think I'm somewhat of an entertaining follow, but I also know that there's people out there that are oh man, just tell us what you did with Julius Peppers or whatever. And I'm like, man, that's yeah. just so boring. You know, like to me, I, there's 8 million other accounts like that out there. What, you know, at, at some point, like what differentiation would I bring to that? You know? And also I just think that a lot of that is if people knew behind the scenes, half the people that ran those accounts and how full of it they are, you know, or that half of those exercises might look cool, but aren't going to provide you with any real value. You know, people push, pull, squat, hinge, lunge, sprint, run, and throw. Right. You know? 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and and let's talk about you kind of a little bit more personally as a father and, and how that has maybe changed you as maybe a coach or a mentor. Uh, has that like, a you know, changed your outlook as far as how you view people? Or was there a big change after, you know, your, your son was born and how you manage, obviously your time management skills had to increase. I've, I've learned that in the past three months. I've learned how to deal with not getting sleep and stuff, but how has that affected you uh, in your, in your uh, profession? Yeah, I, I think if anything, it's just, it's just heightened it, you know, I, I, and I, I know that's an unpopular answer, but so much of my awakening came from things that I dealt with early in life. So I've always prioritized my time. I've always done this. And I think the biggest change has been my wife moving into the company and us becoming even more strict about boundaries. You know, there, there's people that, um, you know, sometimes forget that we run a small business that is completely me and my wife. And for every person that asks for something for free, or they say, can I just pick your brain? And they want to talk for an hour, but they never want to invest in what they do. It's like asking somebody that owns a restaurant to just repetitively give you free meals. Like that comes at a cost for them that that then can impact your family. And that that's not me saying I, I don't, again, we have a podcast, we have tons of free resources at artofcoaching.com, but I've had to get more careful about people that, you know, are takers, you know, and takers of time, because that's all money that goes to helping pay for our son's daycare. That's money that helps pay for staff. That's time I could spend with my kid. You know, I used to be able to walk around the block and let somebody pick my brain for an hour. And then I realized that a lot of these people, the questions they ask are valid, but we've answered them now on a podcast or a book or what have you. And, you know, gee whiz, like I've never reached out to a bunch of people and said, let me just get an hour of your time without doing my due diligence first. You know, and so I think it's it's made me realize just sometimes how unaware some folks are, even if they mean well. And I'm sure I've been that in the past. But, you know, when I reached out to people in the past, when I had questions, the first thing I would do is go to their blog or their podcast or their website. So then if I did reach out to them, I could at least say, hey, Jordan, I have a quick question. And by the way, I've reviewed my notes for the course, which I, you know, I paid for, or I went to your podcast and listened to episodes 38 and 39. So I want to respect your time. Here's my question. But generally, I just get so many people that are like, hey, can you meet up for coffee? Hey, can you do this? And they sometimes forget. I run a small business and every hour I'm gone is time away from my family or time away from providing for my family or my staff. And I struggled with that early on that I don't struggle with it now. Um, but I struggled with it early on because people would weaponize guilt and they'd say, oh, if you're in it for the right reasons, or I thought you were a leader in our field, or hey, man, I'm just trying to do this. So-and-so gave me a moment of their time, but I guess you're too important. And what I realized is if people react like that, that says a lot about their emotional maturity. And you know, I think that there's a lot of people that just don't have that level of skin in the game, where it's a very unique position if you're a small business owner that is family-owned, you have your kid, you know, you're trying to make it during COVID. Um, we have a lot of loyal supporters that, you know, really dive deeply into my stuff. And my, my, my hierarchy is my family gets my time first. The people that dive deep and support and have put skin in their game to support what we're doing, get my time second, right? And then everything else is tertiary to that. And that doesn't mean I don't value those people as people. It just means I have a commitment and a responsibility to customers and my family and what have you, people that are fully invested in what we do. And so I think it's just even strengthened that will to be like, I'm sorry, you can say I'm rude. It's like that Eminem song, The Way I Am. They can call me whatever term they want, but these are my priorities. And if you actually value my opinions, then you should have no trouble investing because we have things that range from seven bucks 
all the way to 30,000 bucks, you know, right. depending on how deeply you want to dive. And so I'm not scared to put those boundaries up more, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I definitely appreciate your time and, and hope that we can work together in the future as whatever it may be, me going to apprenticeship or having you host something here on campus. What is something that you could bring uh, to, let's say the College of Health and Human Services here at UNCW? Um, if you came to like a retreat style, uh, maybe one day, two day, three day seminar, what type of communication grouping, uh, and, and I've seen these on some of your Instagram videos is, I know you do a lot of improv and, and communication uh, battles and, and not battles, but just group oriented. Situation, activity. we put people in situations, right? We put situations. people in, yeah, we put people in uh, situations because that's how real life happens, right? We find ourselves in situations that we're not always prepared for. Oh, my flight got canceled. I got to go talk to the ticket counter. What? My girlfriend wants to break up with me. Oh my God, I need a raise. Um, you know, name it, right? We and and then what I what I always find funny is when do we ever get training for this, right? Like, don't you don't you think? And this this I think should mean more to you than most people because you see how physical education gets cut. Don't you find it odd that in school we not only don't prioritize physical literacy, sex ed is taken out. You never really learn how to communicate, especially during conflict ridden scenarios you find in life. And then you also don't really learn a lot about finances unless that's your major. And so what it's like, how are we, how are we prepping society when we're like, yeah, we're not going to teach you to be active. We're not going to teach you communication. We're not going to teach you financial literacy. We're going to act like sex is this awful thing that we shouldn't talk about. And then we're going to wonder why massive amounts of people go to online sites and whatever, right? Like, uh, like we, we take out all these things that are part of the human experience. And then we expect to have socially adjusted humans. And so we, we put people in situations that they deal with in real life. And we have some fun too, right, Jordan? Like we have three levels of the, the word improv, right? The etymology of this, uh, the Latin phrase improvisus just means the unforeseen. Um, you know, and is so much of improv is not about comedy, though it can be comedy. Um, it is about improvising and being resourceful, right? Right now we're improvising. I have, you have no idea what I'm going to say next, do you? We've not scripted this. I have no idea what you're going to say next. Are you going to get in your car today at some point? Uh, I have no idea. Okay. But let's say you do. Do you know if somebody's going to cut you off in traffic? I have no idea. Exactly. We, have no, we have no idea what's going to happen. So what we do is we put people in situations that could happen. They might be possible. They might be plausible, what have you, but they got to think outside the box. So, you know, an, an example of things that might happen, uh, let's say somebody came that's an athletic director and they need fundraising. We may say, okay, you're in a meeting, you've got to meet with donors and you're meeting with a donor that's been in, involved with the university for 35 years. They're very stuck on their ways. They want to see any kind of proposal laid out on a PowerPoint or an iPad. They're very visual. Uh, you have another donor that is more analytical. They're going to fire a lot of questions at you. You have three minutes to deal with their questions and also to present something in a visual way to this person. And all you have is a whiteboard and a marker. Here you go, right? We might have something that vague. Um, we might have something where it's like, you know, somebody's like, Hey, my, my romantic partner doesn't listen to me and they don't ask a lot of questions. And I just feel like they really struggle with this. So we put them in a situation where they have to deal with that. Um, we might put people in completely different situations. Let's say you have nothing to do with, uh, being a surgeon, right? You're not a surgeon, but we say, Hey, Jordan, you're a surgeon and you are walking into a room where you have some other people working with you and something goes wrong in the middle of the surgery. And, you know, you've got to, 
you've got to get to the bottom of this, but the issue is, is you can only solve the problem through asking the other people in the scene questions, right? Socratic reasoning, basically. Um, so we put people in real life situations. We put people in situations that are real life, but are heightened. We put people in situations that make them think, oh my God, this is hard. I have no idea what to do, but I need to work my way out of this corner. I need to work my way out of this corner because guess when that happens in real life? COVID, right? Like <laughs> it's amazing when people would be like, oh, this would never happen and what have you. I go, oh yeah, let me tell you about something that would never happen. What if two years ago you came to an apprenticeship and I said, hey, Jordan, um, a pandemic has hit the world. It is shut down. There are mask mandates around the world and the government is trying to get people to get a vaccination. And no matter how you feel about the vaccination or not, you never really know, is it, is it, is it safe? Is it not safe? Government leaders don't really know what to do. Entire parts of the supply chain are uh, shut down and people are hoarding toilet paper. How do you think you would have responded to that? Yeah, it would be like, this is, this is like a movie my, right. or a dream. And it's our life. Right. And so that, that's the value we bring is we say, all right, let's say we didn't do this. Same thing. If, if, if we're not going to do physical education, how do we help kids get more fit? If you don't engage in situational role-playing and improv, how will you get better at communicating? Reading a book? That might teach you some things, but that's not going to make you a better communicator any more than me watching an orchestra is going to help yeah. me play the violin. There's, um, no back, there's no back and forth. It's just, you're just consuming and consuming and maybe not listening and, and it doesn't matter because you're not writing or just kind of digesting information. And, and, and communication, you know, obviously is, is really hard thing. And sometimes, you know, me and my, my wife and I, we get in arguments over the, the littlest of things. And, and, you know, what are some ways that just people in their um, relationships, I mean, what are some things that maybe you've struggled with that you you've learned how to deal with or that you can give as, as far as uh, relationship advice with your spouse, because that's, that's a different level of, um, you know, bond, you know, it's not you and your athletes. It's, it's not you and your, your parents. It's, it's someone that you living, living with, you're, you're sharing space with. I mean, obviously for you, like you said, there's gotta be boundaries. Obviously you've developed them. Um, but you know, just being a better communicator. So we don't argue as much, you know, I mean, what advice would you have for people like that? Yeah. The, the top advice I'd given, there's a litany of it, right? It's tough to consolidate what has essentially been 10 plus years of work into one piece of advice. But, uh, when it comes to relationships, you need to understand that information is a gift, right? We need to listen for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very open about, you know, my wife and I have disagreements as well. And I teach communication, right? That nobody, Nobody is absolved from miscommunications with loved ones and what have you. Like that's going to happen ubiquitously. Um, the issue is, is I, I'm very big on self-disclosure. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm telling you why I'm thinking that way. Uh, she will shut down, right? When she's angry, she will shut down. And it doesn't mean I'm right, she's wrong, anything like that. But when she shuts down, it makes me more frustrated because I'm trying to work through something and I need to know where she stands on certain things, or I need to understand why she gives me a certain response or a lack of response. And yes. sometimes she doesn't know how to respond to those things because she just shuts down. Right. So, you know, one thing that we were working on is understanding that very, and improv teaches you this as well. When you, even if you don't know what to say, like think, give some information, talk about or I'm feeling this way, or this is what I'm perceiving that you're saying, or this is what I'm hearing. And, and this is, or even just saying, Hey, I need a moment to process this right now. 
before I can answer in the way that you'd like me to. Even that's better than just shutting down and not letting me know where you're at. Right. And, and that, that again, is the value of some of the goofier improv games we'll play, like warm-ups, where, you know, if if I, let's do a basic word association game, right? But just have fun with me. It's better if you screw this up because okay. then your audience, all right. Um, so if I say orange, say something. Orange. Sun. Okay, sun. sun. Grass. Uh, mowing. Hate. Speech. Uh, physical. Um, performance. Ball. School. Children. Playing. Great. So you said something in response to all of those. The worst thing you could do is say nothing because now you've completely stopped the exercise. There's right. nothing more to be gained from that. Where if you keep going, even if I said children and you're like pickle and you're like, why did I say pickle? Right. It, it, look, we're not going to psychoanalyze that. Nobody cares. The fact is you said something. It was just an association game to get your nervous system going, right? Information is a gift. So yes, you need to listen. I don't want to give somebody the same standard advice everybody gives. You need to understand that information is a gift. Self-disclosure is a gift. Give your partner something. Otherwise, the conversation stops. And if the conversation stops... Now you have real issues. I like that analogy because the opposite is true in our relationship where I will not say anything while she's talking to me and that drives her insane. So I think that would be something to, um, to think about is saying, just saying a little something like, Hey, just let me process this. I'm not sure. You know, cause the last thing they want to hear is I don't know what to say. Oh, it'll drive me nuts. If I, if I, I was your wife, I'd lose yeah. it. So Ruth, I don't know. I don't know say. if you're going to listen to this Ruth. <laughs> You and I are very much alike. And yeah, I mean, it's just like you just saying, hey, this is a bit overwhelming for me. I have to process it. You know me. I'm somebody that likes to think, right? I'm, I'm talking as if I'm you. Right. Just I owe you. I love you and respect you enough that I want to give you a response that's adequate. I don't have that right now. And I know that might seem weird because- yeah. You're, you're, you and I are different in that. I'm just asking, like, give me a moment because the last thing I'd want to do is misspeak. And think you mean, I, I mean something that I really didn't. And so, you know, Liz, my wife is working on that. She's just like, yeah, I, I need some time to like process this. And then I'll be like, okay, but what part of it? Like, is there any part that's connecting with you? Give me what you need to understand, Jordan, is you need to give Ruth something, right? right. Even just saying, hey, this makes sense why you're mad. I want to tell you that first off. Second, I don't have the response that you're owed right now. I just need to think about this because words don't come that easily to me. Give yeah. me a moment, right? Say the obvious. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, just yeah, say yeah. the that obvious. Yeah, say the obvious. And, you know, you know, just something like that can go a long way. And, and I'm sure you teach more, more things like that in your apprenticeship. And, and, and I'm sure that you have a lot of commentary after the fact. What are some things that, when people that have taken your apprenticeship have emailed you or messaged you about that have maybe happened in real life or maybe a scenario that you're really in, uh, you know, really uh, happy about. And then we'll kind of end it after that. Yeah. I mean, we, so first of all, I mean, we get these things when people like, let's say you and Ruth signed up today, a week before the event, we send out a form that's like, tell us about situations you're dealing with in real life. Cause we actually know apprenticeship is the same. Like we have certain core slides, right? That that kind of go into the science of what we're doing and what have you. But we tailor it based off of the, the things that people coming are struggling with. So our next one's in Seattle. Then we have what, Boston, Asheville. 
Nashville and then the UK and all of those will be different because people, some people will have more, Hey, me and my wife are struggling. We had an EMT, a guy that was a firefighter that, you know, he wanted to learn how to serve better within his unit. He told us a story about how one time he had to perform CPR on a woman that had been dead for four hours because a gang member was holding a gun to his head, basically not, not coming to terms that his mom had died. And he's like, there's nothing that could have prepared me for these things. And so improv and role-playing only makes me sharper at like trying to assess how I deal with like in insane situations. Um, I think the best compliment we've gotten from somebody is, oh my God, this was real life. Like them saying like coming there and learning how to deal with real life, because like we would do something, let's say you and Ruth came and now I'm going to be on you. You and Ruth have to come. And we would say, okay, talk to us about a disagreement you had. And let's say you had a disagreement and we're going to be like, okay, with very limited instruction on our end, put yourself in that situation. We're going to videotape it and do it as poorly as you can. Right? So we want you to interact with each other in a way that is bound to make this situation worse. Well, now you're going to act, right? You're going to revert more into yourself. Ruth is going to be more impatient. She's going to be like, what Jordan, tell me what you think, Jordan. Like, you know, what have you, we're going to let that blow up. Then we're going to say, okay, now do it almost like the best it could ever be. So good that it, it's almost fake and fairy tale esque Great. Now do it how it really is. And then what we're going to do is you're going to watch those on camera, right? We do abbreviated. We keep it like, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, maybe two minutes, what have you. We actually have the world's first uh, social skills based evaluation that can be used in this capacity to be like, oh my God, I didn't know I did that with my body language, um, haptics, oh, cool. my use of touch was put you like, we get very, very ingrained in there. And, and I know other people have evaluations and what have you, but this one is a different level. And then what we have you do is we have you go do it again. And it's like, oh my God, yes, now I get it. So now, uh, now you've had that worst case scenario, that best case scenario, that ideal, there's a different level of understanding that even if you don't know what to do perfectly, you definitely know what not to do. (laughs) So we're preparing people for real life. That just makes me think conscious coaching, like actually thinking about and and knowing what's happening instead of just kind of delivering the, I guess, whatever to your clients, teacher, uh, students or or athletes. So yeah, hundred percent. I really appreciate it. Uh, Hopefully, we'll see you in the future. I know I will, and and hopefully, you can come to our university. That would be great to see you here working with our teachers, and maybe even for the county, if I could maybe write up a grant to get you to come. I think that would be pretty special. Yeah, we do all kind of group discounts and things like that. And so, you know, you can just reach out to my wife um, and just go to info at artofcoaching.com when that time comes. And you know, we'll always work it out. We try to flex within our budget as much as we can, given the fact that, you know, there are certain constraints, but uh, we would love to do that. We want to get this in more and more universities and what have you, because the earlier you can start people with this, the better, right? The hardest people to reach generally are people that are, you know, so entrenched in their ways and they don't want to get feedback from others. And they just, they think that they're right and everybody else is wrong and social skills are easy. If that's you, not you, Jordan, if that's you listening, you're, you're not our audience, right? Like if you think that you have communication mastered and, and there's nothing more you can learn ever, you're not our audience. If you do know that you want to come and learn and, and we normalize failure, we have fun. I jump in on these games. Sometimes Jordan, I crush them. Sometimes yeah. I'm abysmal, you know, and, and there's a lot of levity. Like we've talked on this podcast about a lot of serious ways we apply the games. 
you know, we use games and exercises and training synonymously. We have fun too. You know, sometimes just like we loosen it up. Improv can be a, a really freeing, engaging way to kind of get people to like smile and laugh. And so, yeah, we, we'd love to have you. Yeah. And too many seminars I see obviously are the PowerPoint here. I'm going to teach and, and I might group you up and have you discuss something, but it's never, it's never in a social dynamic, which is obviously where we're trying to head obviously toward obviously after COVID. I know it's a little bit tougher. Is there any COVID restrictions or anything going on for those? Or is I mean, we, you know, we have, we bring masks and, and sanitizer. If people are concerned about those things. We keep these very, very small. Uh, we try not to have them go. I mean, for special events and end services, we've gone as big as 40, but generally we try to keep it eight to 15 because we want everybody to get in-depth feedback. Everything we do at Art of Coaching, we're trying to make more and more intimate, you know, because we want to get tactical with people. Um, it, you know, also go do my one-on-one -on -one presentations. When people ask me as a keynote for audiences of, you know, 300 to 3000 to 30 or whatever, but, uh, our workshops, we try to keep them small and supportive. So the restrictions, you know, we just try to follow, be smart. We try to make people feel comfortable, but, uh, you know, it's, they're pretty safe. You know, this isn't something where people are, uh, yeah, we ask people to kind of exercise that judgment. We're not sweating on each other. We're not doing this. You're sharing a space, but you can keep your distance, be as isolated as you want to be, or as be as close as you want to be. And it is what it is. We just kind of follow those guidelines. Awesome. And, and one of the, my favorite thing is that you take an inventory of, of what their struggles are before you even go there. You're not just showing up and saying, all right, let's get to know you right this second. You kind of, you've got to have a that. learning outcome. Yeah. I love and you've that. got to tie it to where they're at, you know? And so, and, and part of that's, again, it's tied to my doctorate. And so we mm -hmm. ask people, you know, there's some questions you're not going to know because that's, that's the goal is when we send the post review form, we send the same thing. And then it's like, oh, hopefully you can answer those things now. So we assess that learning outcome. Um, like what are the eight components of communication? And then they're, like I said, it's name a social interaction you're struggling. So we have this database of, you know, well over a hundred people that have said, hey, these are the real things that I deal with. I think a struggle that we need to do, what we need to do better at as a company is find a way to share those online. You know, I think that as we continue to try to grow in the social skills space, you know, uh, of, of helping people understand that these are hard skills, not soft skills is you can tell people about communication all you want. They don't care about communication. What they care about is Betsy Sutherland, who told her story about having to deal with uh, a, a dictatorial colleague who didn't give her the time of day and made decisions not as part of a team. And that led to some catastrophic failure or loss of money as a company. Oh, now I get why that's about communication. What they care about is Susie Ross making up names for privacy reasons who, you know, her second marriage didn't work out because she still wasn't really learning how to communicate and externalize her feelings, right? Like internalize her feelings and then give uh, external words to those, right? She was like, I, I hid from myself a lot. I didn't know who I was. So I projected these things onto my partner and being put in role-playing type scenarios made it so I can't hide. And I had to face these truths. And so we're trying to find a way to share those things without, you know, you don't ever want to seem hokey. And then also, Jordan, you just have to, at some point, you can put the perfect marketing message together and whatever. At, at some point, the people you want are just going to read between the lines. You know, there's a lot of crappy websites out there that people buy stuff from that aren't very clear. I think anybody that understands the value of communication shouldn't be confused by what they see on our website, but who knows? Well, I appreciate your time and, and hopefully everyone gives you a follow and uh, I hope to see you in the future and I know that I will. All right. Thanks, guys. All appreciate right. you all. All right. Thanks a lot.